Marini's Media. Today, Tim Burr at Old Trafford. Chris Wood up front for Burnley in historic win. Deadwood on the sidelines for United. We wonder, is the axe coming? And have fans had enough of this sap? Elsewhere, we round up all the midweek news from Florian's late flurry at Goodison Park to Martinelli giving it some welly. And we ask, why don't we talk more about Leicester's Ricardo Pereira? All that plus Pavlov and what's worth looking forward to in the fourth round of the FA Cup in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, Litsnap. Almost the weekend. And uh, we've just come through an emotional, emotional few days of football. Here in the studio, we're joined by Natalie Jedra. Hello. Hi, Natalie of uh, ESPN Brazil, of course. Duncan is also here, Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. I was looking at Daniel. <laughs> Ronaldinho, no look past there. Yeah. So, yeah, Daniel Story's here as Good well. Good morning. And Duncan Alexander. Lovely, big Duncan. Quite yeah. big. Yeah. Hey, what, a, what an interesting midweek. Uh, care to pick the bones out of that, Daniel? Yeah, absolutely. It was it, one of those midweeks where because the Premier League is as it is this season, you're not really sure who's going to win any game. And that was purely vindicated by the another mad set of results. Mm, as you wrote, uh, this is a ridiculous Premier League season. Five weeks ago, Southampton were in the bottom three. Now they're three points off fifth. Yeah, and that was posted before Manchester United Burnley could have changed that and didn't. Right. <laughs> nice. Uh, Man United Burnley will be uh, getting on to you very shortly. Natalie, are you having fun covering the Premier League this oh, season? Oh, yeah, loads. Loads, loads of fun. <laughs> and... Sounded sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I'll rephrase that. Oh, loads of fun. <laughs> right. What, have you, what did you enjoy most midweek then? Well, you know, I like the emotions. So I, okay. I really enjoyed Chelsea Arsenal because of everything that was happening there, uh, last minute, red cards and everything, Brazilian scoring, so mm. it was all good to me. Yeah, we're going to talk about Martinelli, I hope, yes. in a bit. There were so many things to get excited about, the 10-man gunners drawing at the bridge. Newcastle's incredible injury time turnaround at Goodison. Spurs scoring their first goal of 2020. And, uh, well, Burnley with their first win at Old Trafford since 1962. That sounds especially fun. Let's start there. Westwood to Jay Rodriguez, who then gets it back again from Chris Wood. Oh, what a goal! What a goal from Jay Rodriguez! It's Manchester United nil, Burnley 2. It's a long way back. And the scary thing is we haven't even got the right people in the club to change it around. It's it's devastating. They've hung out a manager to dry, in, out of his depth manager, hung him out to dry. At 84th minute, 85th minute, I'm seeing people get up and go. It's unheard of at this stadium, with the disdain on their faces. It's an embarrassment. A little bit of history on Wednesday night. Burnley claiming their first win at Old Trafford in 58 years. It was actually the third season in a row that the Clarets had gone 2-0 up there. This time they hung on for all three points first off. Duncan, this is huge for Sean Dyche's side. Yeah, massive. I mean, we pointed out a few weeks ago that Burnley looked like they were slipping into a bit of trouble. They have they look like they've got over that now. Um, it was funny in the in the post-match interview, Sean Dyche said, um, this is Old Trafford, it's a tough place to come, a sort of muscle memory response really, but it really isn't. Um, and Burnley didn't look at all under any kind of pressure really. Mm. United never got up ahead of steam and you know, it feels like the, the most groundhog day thing ever. We're here again saying Manchester United are struggling to break down a team right. at home and it's just, you know, we're going to say the same sort of things. It has to end at some point. Okay. For- is Turf Moor today uh, a more dangerous ground than Old Trafford? 
Question mark. Question mark. I don't know, because they haven't been great, Bernie, themselves. Four straight defeats before this weekend, and now back-to-back wins against Leicester and Man U, putting themselves seven points clear of the bottom three. And actually, there's now only goal difference between them and Arsenal. Yeah, everybody. it's just that everybody says that it's terrible to go to Turf Moor. It's always so tough. But Burnley was Burnley, you know. They They they, they played very organised football, especially on second half. Uh, They are very aware of what they needed to do, their style of play. And now they are levelled on points with uh, Arsenal. Uh, Palace, Everton and Newcastle so Mm. that's impressive because uh, not so long ago we were talking about uh, relegation and possibilities of of relegation they weren't in the relegation zone but they were around it so good for Burnley I mean Burnley in the second half had a pass completion rate of 47% which is not not liquid football but you know if you play Man United you don't need liquids Um, just need I mean let's not forget Jay Rodriguez's goal either which was an absolute banger as they say it certainly was it certainly was Richard Brunning writes in I keep hearing that teams have had their first win at Old Trafford for XX years how many teams have actually broken uh, such records since uh, Fergie finished as United manager quite a lot we've had West Brom do it we've had Swansea do it we've had Cardiff do it we've had Sunderland do it we've had Norwich do it but yeah as you say Groundhog Day I th- this result I'm not sure what ramifications have but it felt you know the 2-0 to Everton at Goodison in 2014 that ended David Moyes' tenure, the defeat to Midgeland mm-hmm. with Van Hart. It felt like that kind of a result. Yeah, it felt like a, a managerial sacking result. And it comes a few days after Solskjaer, who is in this weird hinterland between saying his side will be able to compete at the top of the Premier League and then praising them for, for losing games. That is half acceptable against a brilliant Liverpool team it obviously isn't acceptable against a Burnley team and he was much more scathing on the players and the team as of last night but the reality is is that he in April he was talking about the need for structural change at Manchester United and a sporting director when he was winning games he had a mandate to do that when he was doing well but by October he was saying the structure is 100% right everything's fine we are moving forward and you know there is a reason he is no longer pushing for that change and that's because any reasonable sporting director's first job would be to say, well, why have we got an unproven manager in charge? Mm. I have to. I'm going to step up for Ollie. Okay. Yes, because I know we talk a lot about uh, his work and his stats are not necessarily positive. Now he has lost more than he has won since he was appointed. But I think for me it's very clear a lack of uh, technical leadership in Man- Manchester United and a, a, a team as a club as Manchester United you cannot not have a technical leader on the pitch you need someone to like lead the actions to, to really be a leader on the pitch uh-huh. and I see Manchester United playing and I don't see that player okay so I, I, it's not only up to Oli but we're in another transfer window and you know they went into it saying we need to sign players they've sold more players than they've bought again and we're going to get to a point eventually when they're going to have no players left because they'll keep selling players and won't be able to buy anyone we might not get that far but you know some of the decisions do look strange for a team that is struggling to score goals Daniel you pointed out they've scored almost 20% of all their goals this season have come against Norwich City yeah and there are problems at both ends of the pitch they are just now about on course to concede slightly fewer goals than last season but they spent 140 million on two defenders in the summer I it, it, this is never, it, it's, it's been said so often that it barely needs repeating, but this is not all on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Right. But 
if you've got five problems, why would you choose to not fix one of them and probably the easiest one of them just because there are problems above him? I don't see not having a good squad as an argument for having a bad manager. If anything, it's an argument for having a good manager to try and make them better. Right. A couple of decisions just to wonder whose door we should lay them out. Uh, the decision to let Lukaku go, which I think has to be one of the most catastrophic ones of the season, though. Well, as ever with Manchester United, there was an argument in there for selling Lukaku. He wanted to leave. He'd been pretty badly managed and hadn't played very well for his, his second season at the club. But not replacing him was, yeah, was so Yeah, I think that was the biggest mistake. Yeah. Yes, because you look at United's options yesterday mm. and the the, the, the the player that you look and, and think, OK, he might do something here, is an 18-year-old, is Greenwood. Right. Uh, the, other, the other options are just not the type of player that you look and say, OK, this guy can change the match. OK. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask about was the Rashford decision to play him when he mm. when they knew he had a, a bad back, and that does seem to be the manager's yeah, the manager's it, decision. And he's defended it so insistently, repeatedly that I think he probably ex- you know privately accepts his own role in that. But that just shows the a the desperation that he has to turn this situation around. He understands the severity of the situation and his own job, and also the reliance on Marcus Rashford, who lets. Let's remember, at the start of the season, was doubted by a huge section of Manchester United fans as being the answer. Could he mm. play down the middle? Was he, you know, was he getting too big for his boots? And now they're so reliant on his goals. Well, we could talk way more about Ollie's issues, the way that big name players seem to have got worse under his management, whether it's Harry Maguire or, or Martial, with the reputation Harry, he came in with. Harry Maguire is a really good example. A few weeks ago, we sat here and it was reported he was going to be out for a month with a hip injury. And then he's now playing apparently through pain, but he hasn't missed a minute of Premier League action since you know early December. So oh. the club is, there's no rhyme nor reason to it. Players are injured and play. Players aren't injured and don't play. It's I, I'm confused. Right. Is there any sign that you know what we've deemed to be the kind of result that can see a manager shown the door that that's actually going to happen uh, not by all accounts the board have, have apparently said this morning that they're keeping the faith they do have matches in four different competitions over the next month you know they've got a, a league cup semi-final second leg they may play Watford in the FA Cup which will be hard for them to get through playing as they are they've got Club Bruges in the Europa League which they'll probably win and they've got Wolves and Chelsea I think as their next two Premier League games so it almost needs to get worse so to convince every supporter that it's not working and let everyone move on at the same well, time. It seemed like a lot of supporters were pretty convinced of that yeah. uh, on Wednesday night. Since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's a permanent appointment, fans of that kind of stat will enjoy this, uh, Man United have won fewer league games than Burnley. Mark Staniforth uh, asked how many Man United players would have got in the Burnley team uh, last night. What do you think, Natalie? <laughs> That's a tricky one <laughs> because... It's completely different styles of play. Well, uh, I suppose. Yeah, it's very yeah. physical, mm. mainly. Whenever a manager does really badly, we always do this, like, well, none of their players will get into that team, none yeah. of their players will get into that team. And then a new manager comes in and, you know, we saw this under Solskjaer's temporary reign. The argument for keeping Mourinho is, well, the players are awful, the players are awful. And then suddenly Solskjaer went on this huge winning run and changed the mood. Right. These are all good players. There's no bad players in the Premier League. Sometimes it is about motivation and tactics and coaching yeah and well look, look at I mean, we'll come on to this shortly but look at Granit Xhaka under Arteta as a different player to his in the previous regime so a manager is more important than the set of players so yeah right. but th- there there comes a point as well that there is Premier League players and as uh, like I, I, I'm trying to to be at a United 
mindset uh, a Man United player. So uh, maybe they're expecting a different level, you know, for for Still? being being think? being Man United. Yeah. Really? After all this time. <laughs> well, that's what I, I'm. I'm trying to understand what the fans mm. might be thinking. I mean, could Sean Dyche get a better performance out of this Manchester United team? I would say yes. That, that's the that's the move. I think I said it before. The most damning thing is that. It, if you look to every club in the Premier League and the and the Championship, I think there are probably only three, two or three sets of supporters in between both leagues mm. who would be happy if their manager was replaced by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer tomorrow. Go on, which clubs are we talking about? Well, it's the bottom clubs in the Championship, basically. I don't think there's anyone else who'd be desperately happy to change their manager for, for Solskjaer. The, the most unpopular manager at the start of the season in the Premier League was Steve Bruce, and he's doing far better than people thought. So I don't see why anyone else would change. Yet in this crazy mixed-up campaign, they are still fifth, six points behind Chelsea. We'll talk more about why that's true after this. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. Ruby is the expert, Tom holds it together and Paddy, well... Paddy's funding the whole thing, so he insisted that he gets to be involved. <laughs> the first episode is available to download now. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. All right, Natalie, the big game at the bridge, Chelsea 2, Arsenal 2, and you were there. Yes, very exciting match. In a night of surprises, what? caught your eye the most uh arsenal spirit for its for a start okay it was the first time i actually saw arteta in the dugouts and he's he's just a little pep uh, in the dugout mm. the way that he's so energetic and he's always uh screaming and talking to the players and uh the, the players seem very pleased with him so i think uh, arsenal fans are also expecting this soul this energy from arsenal and and they definitely saw it uh, against Chelsea and of course Martinelli Martinelli yes we're very happy about him so for anyone who wasn't watching let's just go through this dramatic encounter it starts off with the Arsenal fielding Mustafi and David Luiz as their centre-half partnership and they're playing all the hits essentially <laughs> Mustafi with the, the short pass which uh, who runs onto it is it uh, Abraham it's runs it. onto yes. it and then David Luiz David Luiz is him. A and soft red card, in my opinion. Do you think? Yeah, I think <clears> so, <throat> yeah. Okay, well, it, it was a red card, and Jorginho puts Chelsea 1-0 up, but all of a sudden, Arsenal are dominating. They couldn't take the advantage of having a, an extra man, and actually, Chelsea was playing better when they, they were 11 against 11, mm. and when they had uh, one man, they started doing what Chelsea's been doing this season, which is wasting a lot of opportunities. Right. It's almost as like, oh, okay, next next time we'll, we'll, we'll do it better. Next one, we'll, we'll score. And it just seems a little bit too relaxed at times. Ma and do you think maybe they thought a goal up against a 10-man Arsenal, it doesn't matter, you know, there's no way they're coming back into this? Uh, I'm not sure because I've seen uh, Chelsea do this uh, during the season, uh, playing 11 against 11. So I think it's uh, a matter of mindset and maybe maturity. Taking those chances, the, mm. the chances that they create because they had 19 shots on goal. Yeah, well, this is something that Frank Lampard's talked about and the yeah. fact that they are looking to maybe bring someone in with more of a killer instinct. Yeah. In the second half then, yes. from a Chelsea corner, oh boy. <laughs> One, two, three, four, 
was actually Arsenal's first shot uh, yeah. of the match. And I don't know, I was just impressed with his personality. He just took the ball and just went for it, Gabriel right. Martinelli. And he knew exactly what he had to do. And he's only 18. And uh, there's a curious fact about him, because on grassroots back in Brazil, uh, he was kind of molded to be uh, a player who plays in Europe. So his, uh, his trainings were much more physical than you would do in Brazil. Uh, I found out about that talking to him and his staff. Mm -hmm. So he had uh, periods training at Manchester United and at Barcelona. So he could be that player. And when he turned uh, 18, he just came to Europe and he seems more ready than uh, most 18-year-old Brazilian players because they, they uh, tend to struggle with the physicality of the Premier League as soon as they get here. And if you look at Martinelli, he's not a big player, but uh -huh. he's dealing with the physicality of the Premier League really well and the, the mentality. And the Europa League as well, where he scored bundles yes. of goals. He has 10 goals <clears throat> this season already. How big How big is he going to be? Oh, he's going to be a very good player. I, I, I really have faith on it. And, and not just me. Aubameyang say so. Uh -huh. Ian Wright say so. So I think we're not all wrong about him. Yeah, he's the first Arsenal teenager to score 10 or more goals in a season since Nicholas Anelka and I think what you hope is that he doesn't do an Anelka and has a good season and a half and then you know demands a move somewhere else I think you know three or four or five years at Arsenal developing will be will be ideal I mean he covered 62 meters in six seconds in that run mm -hmm. um, is that quick with I'm not... ball and feet yeah that, yeah, was... that is very quick right. um, and then you know calmly slotted it past Kepa who had a Particularly unimpressive game, I'd say. I mean, also mm. had two shots in the entire match. Two sh not on target, yes. just two shots. Two shots. Um, All right. Well, David Priest says that the Kepper wasn't at fault. Uh, I think with the maybe. I mean, David knows more about that yep. incident than me. But there is a, a, a sense with Kepper, not that he's a bad goalkeeper, but that he doesn't make any saves you wouldn't expect him to make. Right. The, And ball, the position. He, yeah, his, his positioning position, is odd. Yes. The way it, it seems, the way he waits himself for dives means that as long as you get the ball in the corner. You'll probably okay, score. Okay, so Priest's point is that it's actually Antonio Rudiger's fault for keeping the Arsenal players on side that he didn't yeah, step I mean, up. And there are more than, obviously there's more than one mistake in every goal. And Tammy Abraham, right. although he was injured, didn't really close down his man. I think Jorginho turned his back to the shot as well. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a catastrophic mistake, but Chelsea supporters think this as well, that it's not the sense that there's any calamitous mistakes. It's that every shot that seems to be aimed very close to the yeah. corner goes in. It, he's not a bad goalkeeper, but he's the most expensive goalkeeper in the history of football. Yeah, I, I think, think that's a that, problem, yes. You know, yes. So. Because I think he makes mistakes that young goalkeepers would make. Uh, but right. he's the most expensive goalkeeper of the world, so it has a weight on it. And, and second goal... Mm -hmm. It was just bad defending from everyone. Bellerin's goal was just a collective mistake. Uh, like Chelsea can't defend like that. They just can't. Nice for Bellerin, though. Almost a year to the day uh, since he ruptured his cruciate ligament uh, against Chelsea. Uh, uh, salute to Arteta for not taking Martinelli off uh, when the red card happened in the first half. He, he thought maybe about bringing Rob Holding on for him. But he said, I didn't want to send that message to the team. Yeah, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, Granite Zaka went into central defence and I think most Arsenal fans were like, yeah, get Rob Holding on ASAP. But Zaka was brilliant. He was calm, he was strong, he made good tackles. It's arguably that could be a position for him um, going forwards. Um, there was a nice touch with Bellerin, A, being captain. Um, and of the four Premier League goals Arsenal scored from outside the box at Stamford Bridge, three of them now have come from fullbacks. People remember the Nigel Winterburn sort of 
outside of the foot curler, uh, Silvino in 2000, similar, and now Bellerin as well. So that's a, a nice little collection. It was nice that they cleaned up the mess they made, but they did kind of make it in the first place. Is there a danger in, in reading too much into uh, their comeback against this pretty confused Chelsea side? Yeah, I think there's always a danger and dangerous in reading too much into one match or I think with Arsenal now with Arteta it's just that they need to look for the good performances for the format of the team and just evolving not looking necessarily at only at results Mm -hmm. and uh, only at the table and if you look at Arsenal like that you see uh, Arteta's work just developing and uh, it's been interesting but we we have to stay calm okay Natalie I think completely rightly mentioned that he looks like a mini Pep. Let's not forget that Pep Guardiola came to England at a, a far better club with far better resources and players, mm-hmm. with a far, you know, far bigger CV, and struggled in his first season. He struggled to implement the the demands on the squad, the kind of uh, the minutiae stuff, the micromanagement that that Pep and Arteta will like to do. That does take time, and it, especially coming in mid-season and doing it, I think is. I don't think we should expect anything from Arsenal until next season. Right. Yeah, and, and of so. Chelsea too, then. What's going on with that team? Uh, Kante, for example, remember when he was impenetrable? Mm. Yeah, I think they're the luckiest team in the Premier League at the moment. They've taken 14 points from the last 12 league games and yet they're still six points clear of, of fifth place. Um, as long as you're in the top four, nobody cares how uh, the standard of the Premier League is. As soon as they drop from that, then questions will be asked because after a really promising start to the season... If it was just the young players' form that has tailed off, we'd be saying, well, you know, that's natural for young players. Mm. It isn't just that anymore. Uh, some of the senior players have, have not stepped up in recent weeks to fill that void. And as you say, Kante is one of them. And now Tammy Abraham's out for a bit. I, I wonder if that might help them. Lampard was appointed with his mandate to play young players. And if they then bought a striker over Abraham in January, it might look like, well, oh, you've ripped up you've ripped up the big plan yeah. then, have you? But the fact that Abraham gets injured, especially if it's for a few weeks, right. sort of gives them a... a an easy purchase and say well we didn't have a choice because Abraham was injured I think it might help them well they've got a week if that's the case to go and buy a centre forward is is anything happening on that well they were talking uh, about Edison Cavani Cavani, but I think he's going to Atletico yeah I think he'd prefer Uh, the the Atletico stuff was almost a done deal a few months ago I think and then it went a bit quiet and Chelsea have tried to muscle in I don't know is the honest answer Mm. All right. Uh, next up Chelsea will be uh, travelling to uh, Championships uh, Hull City in the FA Cup while Arsenal are at Bournemouth on Monday we'll talk more about the FA Cup uh, fourth round uh, a little bit later on because next relegation you're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson relegation uh, that's it just relegation that's all I'm going to say <laughs> uh, let's have a quick look at the situation down the bottom uh, Norwich you've got beaten at Spurs are now six points off safety the next five teams though are separated by only two points in descending order Brighton Aston Villa West Ham Bournemouth and Watford, who despite having that tremendous record since Nigel Pearson, etc. and so on, are now back in the bottom three. This after their defeat by Aston Villa with pretty much the last kick of the game. Uh, a bitter blow for Hornets. The man, man most upset by all of it, though, uh, almost was uh, Aston Villa's... Uh, what's his name? His concert. Yeah. yeah. You saw him looking uh, inconsolable uh, after the uh, the final whistle when they told him he didn't get the goal. Yeah, it's a sort of... Uh, I, I want to know how we class that. It's a goal that, of the type I've not really seen before and that Tyrone Mings is 
his feet were in the air and the ball clipped them. Went in. I want to know if that's an overhead kick or not. Yeah. I mean, the thing, <laughs> as far as I know, the thing with goals when it's your own teammate is the club can decide. Oh, is it? I yeah. thought if it definitely touched them, it has to be. That might have yeah, changed now. So. With oh, please give him the goal! <laughs> Come yeah. on, I think he looked what? heartbroken. Yes, right? exactly. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be the person who was telling the news. To <laughs> Not him. because normally the players would put on a brave face and say the important thing is three points, but mm-hmm. he he actually sinks to the floor and puts his head in his hands. Maybe, maybe I like really the honesty. Yeah. Yes. the sort of fight back that uh, Dean Smith will cling to because he keeping him in charge part of that is about this kind of togetherness and this spirit and this siege mentality because I don't think they have a a team rather than individual players that are good enough to stay up but they do have this morale they do have Jack Grealish and it was nice that they were able to do it without Grealish being a a completely integral part of of both goals because that's been a complete non-entity recently Mm. even though he was man of the match yeah which is it becomes one of those absolutely standard picks <laughs> yeah. now. If Villa win, Grealish is probably man, and he, yeah. by all accounts, played very well. Okay, they move up from 18th to 16th. Villa, a Watford travel in the opposite direction down to penultimate place. They have Tranmere this Thursday evening in their third round replay, and possibly Man United on Sunday, depending on what happens in that huge win elsewhere for Bournemouth. My words, three-one over Brighton, including Callum Wilson's first goal. In 16 Premier League matches, how many minutes, Duncan? Uh, 1,319. Thanks. Brighton had 66% possession, 21 shots, 8 on target. What what happened? Story of their season, playing pretty well and not scoring enough goals. Um, they don't have that obvious natural goal scorer. Neil Morpé is a, is a good player, but he's still finding his feet at Premier League level. Aaron Connolly is young. Glenn Murray has kind of done there, I think. Uh, but yeah, they've got 10 points from 14 games now, Brighton, mm. which is stretching back to, I think, November the 2nd. So that's an extended run of poor form. They do need to, you know, they do to look smart. They're two points ahead of Bournemouth and the relegation a trio. Uh, in even more trouble are West Ham, who are only out of the bottom three on goal difference. Daniel, you were actually at the King Power on Wednesday night to see their clash uh, with Leicester. 4-1 win for Foxes, but the hush around the stadium when, when Vardy clutched his glute. Yeah, I mean, only Jamie Vardy could could effectively pull a muscle and then try and run it off. Uh, uh, and yeah, 30 seconds later, fell to the floor and realised he was human and, and went off. It should be said, Kelechi Iheanacho was brilliant when he came on. Uh, he obviously understands that with a week to go in the transfer window, he doesn't want Leicester to buy another striker. And he was... He set up the game-clinching goal for 3-1 with a brilliant run, a kind of Martinelli-esque run from halfway line and was brought down for a penalty. So, Mm. yeah, he will look to take his chance. They played Harvey Barnes as a kind of false nine in the cup in the third round, I think. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, yeah, West Ham were awful. Really? Really bad. I mean, not... They had a brief flurry when, you know, round about the penalty. Yeah. They sort of huffed and puffed a bit. It felt like Moyes had, inverted commas, got into them at half-time. But then it sort of faded away as quick as it arrived, really. And yeah, they, they really do look in a lot of trouble, actually. Their fixture list is looking pretty grim. That fixture list uh, features Liverpool next Thursday and then a trip to Man City, yikes. And before any of that, a visit in the Cup from Slavin Bilic, who's a man with a point to prove, I imagine, at West Ham. Can we go back to Leicester? Yeah. Yeah? Just... Ricardo Pereira? Yes. Yes, let's talk about him. Why don't we talk about Ricardo Pereira? Because I think Trent Alexander-Arnold is the only right back that we talk about, which is really 
explainable, uh, understandable that we talk so much about Trent. But Ricardo Pereira, he's been brilliant for the past couple of seasons. Mm. He's so creative. Uh, he's good in attacking. He's good in defending. And he's very useful to the team. So every time I watch Leicester, I'm impressed with him. Yeah, I'm always effectively picked two left backs in Masawaka and Cresswell to try and deal with that overlapping threat. And yet he set up the first goal and scored the second goal. He was brilliant. And he mm. is... I think he is, when Vardy is not playing or not on form, I think he is arguably Leicester's best player. Wilfred indeed yeah. is good as well, but he was—he just has the ability to just run a game from right back. Yes, so he's similar seen... to Trent in that respect. Yeah, although, I mean, but the thing is, is Ben Chilwell's form's dropped off quite a lot recently. I think exactly. Leicester have, I think Leicester have the second best pair of fullbacks in, in the league by yes. a distance, but Ricardo Pereira seems to have pushed on where Ben Chilwell has slightly regressed over the last few months. Yes, that's the thing. We've seen Chilwell, we've seen Tillemans as well dropped form uh, in, the past, uh, in the past matches, but Ricardo Pereira, he's always like constant, he's solid. Uh, he's had a direct hand, stats fans, in 13 goals in the Premier League since the start of last season. That's five that he scored and eight assists, one of which he pretty much scored uh, on Wednesday, but somebody else then ran in. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Only two defenders uh, with more, and of course they are Liverpool's full-backs, Trent and Andy. Mm. Return to form from Leicester. Uh, other midweek news, Deli Alley scored Spurs' first goal of 2020 on January the 22nd. You were watching this game, Natalie, weren't you? Yes. On your I... phone in the pub. Yes, I was. <laughs> what were you able to glean from that? Well, I'm going to have my Duncan moment here. Okay. 398 minutes and 48 shots after uh, it was Spurs' first goal in All 2020. Right. Up to yeah. Natalie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I try, I try. No, but uh, the thing is, uh, great, Spurs won. Uh, no clean sheets again. Uh, even though last round they, they got a clean sheet but not a good performance I'm still waiting for the good performance from 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 Spurs because I didn't see the creativity I didn't see the the options that they, they used to show and um, Christian Eriksen he, he started at the bench but he, he played second half a lot of crosses like really different from what you would expect from Spurs and then after the match Mourinho was talking about injuries having problems with injuries and signings and that's been Spurs the the past few seasons and and Pochettino coped with that and mm-hmm. he found alternatives so been Mourinho the last few seasons as well to be fair <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah I mean there was a leak wasn't there from a player maybe codenamed Danny Daffodil or something this week <laughs> complaining about Mourinho's approach to training the tactics etc um, I mean Spurs the percentage of long passes they're making has gone up from 9% under Pochettino which is one of the lowest figures to over 12% under Mourinho so doesn't sound massive, but... Yeah, it is yeah. quite a big leap in is proportional it? terms. Yeah, so, I mean, it is obviously a different approach. You can see that when you watch them. Mm. Um, it's a kind of firefighting, let's try and get fourth place. Uh, particularly when you out. don't have a centre-forward available, though. Is it a, a kind of approach that's going to bring dividends? Yeah, we kind of assume that they might play Son and, and Mora as sort of split strikers and look to play on the counter. Oh. It feels like they're just going to carry on playing the same as they are until they buy a striker in the next week or so, whether Them that's well. William Jose or Fernando Llorente or whoever. Um, it looks like Mourinho is sticking to that plan, which is slightly ironic given that he promised he'd changed in his break and that he'd taken a fresh <laughs> he'd taken a fresh approach and he was going to you know he'd seen the Premier League tactics evolve. Uh, it looks very similar. Hugo Lloris is back for Spurs, but Harry Winks is now out injured. Laporte is back for Man City, uh, who saw off a spirited 
Sheffield United side, a 1-0. Brilliant stuff from Dean Henderson in goal for the Blades, saving Gabriel Jesus' penalty and other things besides before the usual Kevin De Bruyne-Aguero axis of excellence struck again. Re-penalties, Henderson, Duncan has saved four of the last eight he's faced in English League football. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas Gabriel Jesus has failed to score three of his last five. Well, City have got a collection of some of the worst penalty takers in Premier League history. Um, Jesus is up there. So is Riyad Mahrez. Remember, he missed that one at Anfield last season, which could have been crucial. Um, And Pep came out afterwards and said the best penalty taker at the club is Edison, which I think excited a lot of people because if you make your goalkeeper, you're designated penalty taker that is exciting I, right. I have asked uh, Ederson about uh, taking penalty and free kicks as well because he's good in free kicks but he, he was very shy about it and he said no let's let's leave it to the manager but it would be nice we, he, he's a big fan of Rogério Ceni, who's a Brazilian goalkeeper and he was really well known and he scored a lot of goals over 100 goals uh, by penalty kicks and, and free free kicks as well so would be interesting it would be but I mean I really want to know do you think Pep might Make him the spot. The penalty. Well, I mean, the only thing you could say is that you know City are in this kind of they're miles clear of third. They're yeah. miles behind Liverpool. It doesn't really matter. Why not make Edison the penalty taker for the rest of the season? And right. you know why I want to know, don't you, Duncan? Yes, you've got your FBL hat on. I certainly have. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be insane because they're going to get penalties. I mean, they do get penalties. Yeah. I mean, it should be said that Sergio Aguero wasn't on the pitch at the time. He scored nine uh, of his last nine, I think, was the stat I saw. So he will probably be the first choice. But if he's not on the pitch, then why not? You just have to make sure that if you are going to miss, you miss the target Mm -hmm. rather than letting a goalkeeper parry it to one of his defenders. Well, the the dream, the absolute dream here would be Edison gets a penalty against Liverpool in that big game. (laughs) Alisson somehow gets it and then just pings it down the pitch into the empty net. I mean, that would just, I mean, the Premier League would be complete. End it there. That's it. Wow. <laughs> Southampton uh, had a tuna win at Crystal Palace who failed to have a single shot on target, I imagine. Or was it any kind of shot at all? I think it on was target. on target. Yeah. Yeah, on target, right. Uh, Southampton, as uh, I was mentioning your fact at the start, Daniel, that uh, from being in the bottom three just five weeks ago, they are now a win away from fifth place. Yeah, fair well, play to, to the club for not knee-jerking after the, the 9-0 home defeat by Leicester because that is the sort of result that makes you, you know, gives you a mandate to, to make a managerial change and, mm. and they stuck with him and they're doing really well now. So. Nice. I mean, nine is obviously the number that looms over Southampton this season. Um, they're ninth now, which is nice. They're nine points behind fourth, which is not out of the question given the form of some of the teams above them. So, um, yeah, that will be a good recovery. Brilliant stuff. Uh, what on earth happened at Everton? We'll talk about that next. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. So it's the 93rd minute at Goodison Park, and Everton are winning 2 0. And Everton fans like Johnny Blue EFC are tweeting about how he's so happy about a 2 0 win, and he's even managed to get the earlier train. And then, <laughs> and then what? And then what well, they forgot, Duncan, how dangerous a 2 0 scoreline can be. <laughs> <laughs> Stitch what? up. 
this unusual event that, that we want to talk about because it's unusual, yeah. Well, OK, this one is particular because it happens so very late and it's a defender scoring a brace. Yeah, it's the first time in Premier League history that a defender has scored twice in injury time, so that's something. I mean, people are sick of me going on about Steve Bruce's books, I'm sure, but the fact <laughs> he has written a book called Defender and one called Sweeper and Newcastle have scored 12 goals from defenders this season, which is more than any other team. Uh-huh. I mean, basically, Newcastle's defenders are keeping them in mid-table. Um, so there is a nice synergy there. Right. If anyone's going to write any more thrillers out of the Newcastle uh, squad at the moment, Florian Lejeune himself might be the guy to do it. After the you know the interesting answer he gave to a pretty interesting question in the... Oh, uh, uh, yeah. yeah did the, you see this? The match day programme, yeah. yes. They asked him... How would you dispose of a dead body? Yeah, which is it's it's not your regulation format. It, it felt it feels like one of those questions that they ask quick fire questions right. to try and catch him out, and he accidentally answers it and says, "Oh, I put it in the wardrobe," and they go, "Right, get out." Except he didn't. He's got a quite an no, interesting yeah, plan. He, he, although he managed to sell it by saying, "I've seen something on TV," which is okay. a, a very clever defence if you have done that sort of thing. But yeah, he right. said he would. He would wrap it up and then dispose of it off a ferry. At yeah, sea. he would put it in his car, dra- get onto a ferry, then chuck it overboard. I mean, a good club to play for if that's your <laughs> op- modus operandi. And his previous club was also on the coast, so maybe, Hello. You know, maybe he has, maybe we have a, a serial killer as well as an Everton killer on our hands. Seriously, though, uh, he certainly Everton... showed a killer instinct on uh, Wednesday. <laughs> oh, that's Tuesday. Oh, yeah. That's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> Worryingly for Everton, though, they were 2-0 up and ended up drawing 2-2. And for all that Carlo Ancelotti came out and kind of in his cuddly fashion said, don't worry, I told the lads I've blown a Champions League <laughs> yeah. final. This is the up. final argument. How, How does that help? <laughs> yeah. How, who does that help? Yeah. Don't, no, don't but worry, we can do worse. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And also, who won that match? <laughs> <laughs> don't remind me of that. This is worse You're than... upset about Newcastle. Come on, I was at a Champions League final. Worse than Ronald Koeman had a red bauble on his Christmas tree. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I mean, I imagine he had other words to say to them in the dressing room. I mean, I hope so. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. There's an incredible photo. um, I think it's from the first goal when two Everton's players and Jordan Pickford are all behind the goal line. And it's just just a mad sort of crazy scene. It just sums up the... The uh, the end of that match. Both of these clubs have form for this kind of thing, as we saw indeed this Saturday uh, from Newcastle. They've scored a whole bunch late on Isaac Hayden with a 94th minute winner against uh, Chelsea at the weekend. Everton, meanwhile, have conceded seven goals in the 90th minute onwards in the Premier League this season, which is four more than any other side in the division. So it happens to them a lot. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense for Newcastle because, as Duncan says, their defenders are their biggest goal threat this season. And if you are losing later on in a game, what do you do? You throw the defenders up front. Mm. Maybe Bruce might consider it as a kind of an, an earlier tactic for the last half hour, bring off Joe Linton for, a, for another centre-back and just put Fabien Cher or Florian Lejeune up there and, and just go whole hog and play it. Very and nice. if there's someone that can complain about injuries, it's Newcastle. Yeah. Nine injured players. They had to play uh, two midfielders in wing-back positions against Everton. And and to be fair, it was a, a pretty good performance from Everton. It was really a shame for, for them what happened. And it kind of overlooks the fact that Moise Keane scored his first goal. That's yes. true. Which has been a, quite a long time coming. But, mm. you know, it's good to see him flourishing under Ancelotti. Uh, an XG question for you, and indeed an X points one. This is from Sandy Nimmo. Newcastle are still bottom of the XG and X points table, says mm. Sandy. Are they on course for the biggest recorded discrepancy by the end of the season? Just can you just? Exp- I just want to make sure I understand what the question means. 
Uh, yeah, just well in terms of expected goals, Newcastle the only team with under twenty so far this season. So in so in sen- terms of expected, they have the lowest number of expected yeah. So goals. essentially, they've created the 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 worst quality chances, the lowest the amount, of which again ties in with if your most of your goals coming from defenders. That and equally be. x points. That, well, that's where you kind of extrapolate based on their xg and their. XG so no one would expect them to score many goals. In fact, the fewest amount in the Premier League, and you'd expect them to have the fewest points in the Premier League based on. This Based data. on that and a few other things, yeah. yeah. So they are, yet, they're massively over, overperforming. I think most Newcastle fans and possibly even Steve Bruce deep down would, would accept that. I mean, possibly the, the biggest overperformance of recent seasons was Burnley when they came seventh, which no one could really explain. But but yeah, I mean, it looks like Newcastle are going to be okay, although they, as we have mentioned, they're only, you know, seven points off the drop zone. Uh, one thing in general from this midweek is... This season, we've started having 7.30 kickoffs rather than mm. 7.45. We also have 8.15, which is unacceptable, I think, for fans. But right. 7.30 kickoffs are so much better than 7.45 kickoffs. Well, they're 15 minutes better. <laughs> but I they guess. are, they feel so much better. In terms of people getting home and getting away from the grounds, right. it's amazing the amount of times that you get to a train station and as a fan or journalist, whatever, and have 40 minutes to wait for a train. Because as soon as you get after 10 o'clock, trains are far less regular. Games finishing at 20 past nine is right. perfect. Then there's no reason for, for the 15 minute delay. You know, in Brazil, we have 10 p.m. kickoffs. Wow. During, uh, during weekdays. Did you have much of a tradition of away fans in Brazil? Yes, yes. But they usually travel in their own buses. Yeah, they come in their own buses. Right. But the problem is uh, public transport's not working after midnight. So, right. it's yeah, it's a big struggle in Brazil. Okay. I've been one up, rightly one-upped by Natalie in Brazil there, <laughs> moaning about a 15-minute delay. <laughs> okay, next up then, let's talk about the FA Cup fourth round. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, how about that FA Cup fourth round draw? Hey, Duncan. Yes, a mixture of ties. I think we can describe it as. <laughs> uh, I've got the fixture list in front of me. What have we got? Saints taking on Spurs in an all-Premier League clash. Man United up against either Tranmere or Watford. That exciting Shrewsbury-Liverpool encounter. What are you most looking forward to, Duncan? Portsmouth Barnsley. Is they it? haven't met in the FA Cup since 1907, which a lot of uh, science fans will remember was the year Pavlov did his uh, experiment on dogs, oh, ring, right. ringing the bell, and they, you know, they eventually became kind of just used to this, you know, salivating the sound they of the bell. They associated the ring of the bell with the arrival of food and would salivate. Very much the forerunner of fan TV in some respects. Yeah. What um, what excites the Pavlovian response for you in, in football? Is there something, I don't know, a piece of music or a, a walk to a stadium that gets your juices flowing? Well, seeing Edison trot up the field to take a penalty <laughs> could be the one, I think. I think the default answer here is surely Nessun Dorma. Okay, yeah. Uh, for English fans of is a certain Is that Pavlovian heritage. or is that just plain nostalgia? That's, that's Pavarotti, not Pavlovian. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I set you up for a joke, which I didn't. That, Lovely, wow. a second assist. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Unless, Natalie, you have something that particularly just triggers you. Uh, Shrewsbury, Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 that'll work. Yeah, I can, yeah. That'll, that'll work. Yeah. Okay, I was going to come on to that later on, but we can do that now if you like, because uh, it's, I believe, the biggest kind of distance in terms of league position. Yeah. Shrewsbury, the lowest team left in the competition, 16th in League One. Liverpool are you know, clearly a little bit higher than that. Um, and you'll be fascinated by Shrewsbury themselves, a, a town that had to have 
a vote among its inhabitants to decide what its name is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've been there once. Actually. Have you? Yes, yes. Doing a piece on safe standing. Ah, so that, okay. that, that's what I was going to mention, the atmosphere in, in this match, because you have traveling Liverpool fans mm-hmm. and you have the safe standing at Shrewsbury, which they are very proud of. They're the only um, English stadium. Oh, no, sorry. They were the first English stadium. They were the first. Yeah. Yes, they were the first. And this, their, um, their ground, the New Meadow, uh, it's category four. Mm. It's which, a really nice ground, yeah. Which yeah, means they could actually have a, like a Europa League final there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's true. It's it's a nice probably ground, won't. But yeah, <laughs> it would <laughs> no, be a good it? one for you that. You never know. <laughs> it could be a good one for that new European trophy that. Oh, the Europa no, League two. Or the Vars or whatever it's going to be called. Yeah. The, no, uh, don't mention that word. <laughs> uh, Natalie, what's their ground like? And what's Shrewsbury like? Did you like the uh, the salop people? I did. Oh. Yes, uh, they were very welcoming. Lots of families in the ground, mm-hmm. and and they the the the, the safe standing is wow. It's it's really nice. Very organized. Uh, very family environment, and at the same time, it's loud. So mm. it's it's pretty cute. Okay. Uh, I had yeah. a completely different experience there last year, where oh. I went to Shrewsbury Wolves in the FA Cup fourth round actually mm. and I had no idea until I got to the game that Shrewsbury versus Wolves was a, mm. a fierce derby oh is it yeah so they are as you move out of the black country they are basically the first club you hit so and yeah there was like fighting on the streets afterwards You're kidding. Was, yeah it was mad I walked down the, the street to the ground and there were sort of 15 or 20 police fans and I thought Oh, okay. This is a big game. I didn't really realise. Were, sh- were you shouting just sweet journalist? <laughs> well, wow. as someone who supports the league, one team I'm not taken by this <laughs> romanticism about Shrewsbury at all. To be honest, so uh, yeah. What are their chances against Liverpool? Well, it depends on the team. I mean, Liverpool, you presume, are not going to go full Aston Villa or maybe even full Everton, um, but they are going to, you know, Harvey Elliott and the like will, will get a run out. I think they they should still be too good. For Shrewsbury, but as always with these sort of games, you know, if Shrewsbury can hang on to a half time, then it will, uh, you know, it could be, could be a potential banana skin. But uh, I think Liverpool Tick. get through, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, mango skin. That's going to be coming up five o'clock on Sunday. It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting clash. That other uh, games of interest. Can I talk about Coventry Birmingham? Sure. Well, it's interesting because it will be played at St Andrews, which is currently the home of both teams. Right. Um, because, well, it's a it's an EFL catastrophe derby in that Birmingham City are under investigation a game, potential points deduction, Coventry with their owners, uh, Sisu, uh, for the second time are having to play a season away from, from the Rico Arena. Uh, and the ground will be split 50-50 between fans, which I can't imagine... I don't know if that's ever happened for a non-neutral ground mm. to be split 50-50 between the two sets of fans. It'd be interesting. Coventry have only lost once there at St Andrews all season in all competitions. Stay there, yeah. Why not? Very nice. They're, yeah, they're playing well, Coventry. They're arguably the the best team in uh, in League One this season. So that you know they've got a good chance at home if yeah. that comes to to Birmingham. Mark okay. Robbins has done a phenomenal job there, given the the obvious restrictions and the politics behind the scenes. He's gone elsewhere and not succeeded and said that he might be happy to stay there, but he's done a ridiculous job. There. And obviously Mark Robbins a man with uh, a lot of FA Cup history, the man right. who scored to keep Alex Ferguson in a job back when Manchester United uh, weren't very good, which um, some listeners might struggle to remember. Mm. West Ham taking on West Brom mentioned the fact that that will see Slavin Bilic returning to the club uh, that sacked him and replaced him indeed with David Moyes. 
West Brom have only won one of their last eight league games, but they are still top of the championship. So this is the thing with these sort of games is is the rotation from Premier League teams isn't that bad because they've all got big squads, you know, good players in reserve. But Championship teams are the teams that kind of mess the FA Cup up a bit because they also rotate because you know West Brom want to get promoted. Right. But it, when they do that, their squads aren't as as deep, and it tends to that's where the kind of random results come from. I see. Saints are up against Spurs. Saints beat Spurs, actually, at St Mary's uh, back on New Year's Day amid that flurry of activity. Uh, Hull face Chelsea. The Newcastle are up against Oxford. Yeah, Newcastle, bizarrely, haven't reached the fifth round of the FA Cup for 14 years, mm. um, which for a club of their kind of size and stature and ambition is not particularly good. Um, Oxford obviously gave Man City a pretty good game in the, uh, in the League Cup early this season, so it's a potentially difficult game particularly with Newcastle's injury problems but a good opportunity for them to get through. Uh, Bournemouth on Monday night will host Arsenal if you're looking for a potential upset how about uh, Griffin Park's Brentford against Leicester in the lunchtime game on Saturday Daniel eh? Yeah they are Brentford produced the best championship performance I've seen this season they are an, a phenomenal club really in that they've sold a £10 million player I think for each of the last four seasons mm. and yet are still managing to knock on the door of not just playoffs but automatic promotion and obviously with a new ground on the way right next year's 10 million pound player uh, ollie watkins is, uh, yeah, or is Sa- lighting it up or saeed ben rama they've they've got a really good young team it was at the last round they picked six players aged 21 or under uh-huh. for their fa cup tie so they are a, a very forward thinking in inverted commas modern club but other than my own club loyalties it would be good to see them go up right they reached the fifth round last season. They will attempt to do so this time against a Leicester team that, of course, won't be able to call on Jamie Vardy uh, this time around. What's the story with Chowdhury and Chilwell, who weren't in the squad for the Burnley game because they'd missed a training session? They weren't just late. They actually missed the session. Yeah, I think Rogers came out and said that they have been sort of very slightly disciplined, but that they missed it for, for personal reasons. They, the issue is that they didn't let the club know in time, I think. Okay. Uh, so I don't think there's any serious breach of discipline, really. All right. Well, all sorts of delights, uh, hopefully, in store for us this weekend in the fourth round. To finish off for now, though, let's just focus on Spunky Sheffield United's trip to the Den uh, this weekend. Take on the team who've made cup upsets a tradition of late, Millwall. 26-17, Natalie Mill will reach the quarterfinals, knocking out Premier League opposition in three consecutive rounds. Bournemouth, Watford, and then the reigning Premier League champions, Leicester City in the fifth round. Two seasons later, oh my, they did it again. Knocking Premier League side Everton out on their way to the quarterfinals, and they only lost to uh, another top-flight team, Brighton, on penalties. In all, they tie Southampton for FA Cup giant killings, having put out 25 top-flight teams while not in the top-flight themselves can they do it again this weekend is the question and perhaps answering it now on the line is nick hart from the agreeably named actung millwall podcast nick thanks for joining us a fa cup clash with top flight opposition how special is an event like this for millwall fans yeah, I mean, we've got a great track record in the FA Cup. Um, we beat Everton last season dramatically in the last minute of, of the game. And, you know, previously we've beaten um, Premier League opposition, including Leicester when they were champions. So um, we do love an FA Cup upset at the Den, particularly at the Den. It's, uh, it kind of comes with the territory. Of course, you might not be able to do this too much longer, these kind of upsets, because you might be up in the top flight yourselves. 
<laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, we're, we're, we're in great form at the moment. Gary Rowett came in in October and has really turned things around, a little bit more subtlety to our tactics and um, a little bit more you know, uh, time on the ball, bit of passing and so on, basic stuff in some ways, but we've certainly turned it around. So, yeah, the playoffs are beckoning. It's going to be an interesting final part of the season, that's for sure. Right. They're calling it the Rowett Revolution, is that right? Rowett Revolution, yeah. Um, same squad as, as Neil Harris left us with. I mean, Neil Harris did a fantastic job, um, got us from League One into the Championship, but I suppose the criticism of Neil's tactics perhaps is that it was a little bit direct and a little bit predictable. And Gary Rowett has come in and basically put a little bit more subtlety into the into the game and into, into the way we play. It's um, He makes substitutions at critical parts of the game, which we didn't really see so much of in the past. So, no, it's it's been the football's been good. Um, the form is, is is on fire at the moment, and you know a big a big final chunk of the season in front of us. Who knows mm. where it will lead us? Yeah. As you say, one point off the playoff positions at the moment, and no championship side has actually taken more points than uh, yourselves since Gary Rowett took over. What what do you think though about your chances against uh, one of the phenomenal stories of this season, Sheffield United? Mm, I mean, in some ways, Sheffield United, and I suppose to an extent Burnley, also in the Premier League, are the kinds of models that we would like to you know imitate if we if we can make it up there because they are a team without star players in the conventional sense. They're just one point off of Manchester United's Europa spot, which is incredible. So, you know, that's the kind of um, they're going to be a hard, hard team to beat. I think they'll fancy a cup run themselves. Um, they are strong opponents. We'll give them every respect, but the Den, I, I always think we can beat anyone on our day at the Den. Um, away from home is a different story, but it's it's going to be a big atmosphere. It's going to be a great game, good traditional kind of English fixture. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be great. All right. And uh, anyone in particular we should watch out for? Look out for Jed Wallace. He's he's on fire this season. He's a he's a, a player that's um, playing out of his skin at the moment. Um, attracted some interest apparently from you know higher place clubs as as he will do. But he's he's really playing well. So um, a lot will rest on Jed's shoulders. Um, also, Jason Malombi in midfield is on loan from Brighton. A real prospect. But I think the kid's the real deal. So two great players there. My Millwall fact related to their overperformance, you say, James, they've been mm. in more FA Cup quarterfinals than Liverpool in the last 15 years. Good Lord. Mm. Wow. They've already matched their points tally for the whole of last season. Very soon, we'll be looking at some of your questions. Yes, you, listener. And we'll be talking about what happened to Plucky Phoenix Club Unionistas uh, this midweek oh, in the yes. Copa del Rey. They were taking on Real Madrid. First, Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Fancy that. Well, Lee, it's been a terrible week for Brighton, so can they actually go down this season? Well, they've had a terrible run of form, haven't they? Unable to beat even Bournemouth. So I can't imagine Brighton fans are overloaded with reasons to be optimistic at the minute. And yet, I've stumbled upon one here. Our traders think the Seagulls will finish 15th, lurking just above the relegation zone like it's a bag of chips. They're 7-2 to go down, ahead of West Ham who are 5-2 and going backwards again. Watford, who survive on our betting table despite being second bottom in reality, are 9-5 to to get relegated, with three teams odds-on to go down in our book. They are Villa at 10-11, Bournemouth at 4-5, and Norwich at a whacking great 1-16. All right, Kevin De Bruyne next. He's chasing down Thierry Henry's Premier League assist record. What are the chances of him being able to do it? 
he's very close, isn't he? And we're quite confident that he will make Premier League history this season. It's one to eight. He breaks Henri's record. And it's nine to two, which makes him the second favourite to be named PFA Player of the Year for the season. Although he is behind Sadio Mane, who is odds on at 10 to 11 to win that gong. And finally, the glamour tie of the FA Cup this Sunday, Shrewsbury hosting Liverpool. Can the Shrews cause an almighty cup set? <laughs> well, this is actually quite interesting, I think. The odds don't make this a totally ridiculous shout for an upset. Seriously. The Shrews are 11-2 to beat Liverpool at the New Meadow. The runaway Premier League leaders are odds-on to win this game. Of course they are. But it's not 1-6 to six or 1-10. to ten. I think crazy like that, as you might expect. They're 4-11 to 11 to win this match. And that's probably because our traders suspect Jurgen Klopp might just shuffle his pack. After all, he has made his feelings very clear about the match schedule his team faced this season. So, you never know. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Copa del Rey this midweek. It was the last 32. Daniel, your pals at... Uh, Phoenix from the Flames-style Salamanca-based club Unionistas. How did they get on in their uh, home match with Real Madrid? Yeah, they lost 3-1. Oh. Uh, it should be said, weirdly, that the game was in doubt because of unexpected snow in Salamanca, which would have put a wow. slightly damp squib on things or a frosty squib. Mm. Um, There's a storm going through Spain. Yeah, I saw did Malaga, Malaga? Malaga yeah. Yeah, this morning. Uh, but yes, they, they lost 3-1, but they did, they did equalise to make it 1-0, which is... Purely enough, I think. Uh, there was a really nice quote from one of the players after the game because he got Danny Carverhouse shirt and he said, I'm happy to have the shirt, but uh, you should smell it. It smells amazing. Which <laughs> is <laughs> such a like, such a sort of small-time thing to view of it, getting someone's shirt. I loved that. Uh, Barcelona, meantime, had an almighty scare. They went 1-0 down away in Ibiza. Mm. Ibiza. Pasha nut support. Right, Yay. that's, yeah, okay. And uh, But then uh, Antoine Griezmann sent them through, so that's nice. Uh, Coppa Italia quarterfinals, Napoli. Napoli had a win. Incredible. Scenes at San Paolo as they knocked out Lazio. Uh, Lazio, meanwhile, of course, have been tearing it up in uh, the league. 11 straight wins. And this weekend, they've got the derby, the Rome derby, with the Roma side who themselves were knocked out of the uh, Coppa Italia quarterfinals midweek by Juventus. Uh, Roma have lost three games in the last 12, all against sides from Turin. Juventus twice and Torino. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they're not facing one this weekend. It is Lazio. Got a question here. John Lamb. Uh, are, this is for Oily Sailor, says John. Are you more likely to get a draw in a derby game? I always feel, says John, both teams are more concerned about not losing the winning. Do the stats prove this? Not particularly. I think people always remember draws in derbies, but they don't happen any more than normal matches generally. is that right they don't you don't get more draws in derbies no not as a general rule you might there might be the odd derby that has more draws than others but then others will counter that out and that, so. that's because they're about the same yeah. ability as each yeah, other yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than because it's a derby isn't it although yeah. in the Rome in the case of Rome you do get sometimes draws there because I mean there was this famous one where uh, both clubs were down the bottom end of the table and we built this up as being especially spicy because they had the chance to maybe send their neighbours down. But instead what happened was that at the start of the game, Cassano and Di Canio met the centre circle, put their hands over their mouths and had a little bit of a huddle. And for the next 90 minutes, literally nothing happened. Oh, I can't imagine that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> we should be thankful that the Canio was only talking about drawing games nil nil, I suppose. But maybe the Canio was saying, "Do you remember when I convinced people in England that uh, I was sporting because I caught a ball <laughs> I was never going to score with?" <laughs> Wow, interesting. <laughs> anyway, that Rome derby looks like it'll be sensational and in no way a goalless draw because uh, Lazio are on fire and Roma, it's, I mean, it's, it's huge and they're both battling to be top four, and etc. Anyway, uh, that's Sunday evening. Uh, the Redhead Dude says, with many people saying to scrap the FA Cup or change it, who are these many people, Redhead Dude? But anyway, he asked, uh, what changes would you guys make to the competition to bring it into the modern day? Would you make any changes? Natalie, would you make any changes to our FA Cup? Yeah, that's a big argument. You know, I, I, I took a master's degree here in sports management, and this was one of the biggest oh, arguments yeah. we had on class. Was it uh, on the course then? How to yes, yes, bring the magic back yes, to the FA Cup? Yes, how to, to change the FA Cup. and What kind of thing happened on the course then? Um, I mean, on when you ask this question. Yeah, well, uh, most people are just without any hope. Like, it, it is what it is, and it's always going to be like that. And you have to uh, really get attached to the tradition, mm-hmm. and uh, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people say about uh, putting, uh, including a spot on European football, which is like the most common sense answer. The Champions but League it, place. Yes, yeah. exactly. But not necessarily would solve anything. So we just went nowhere with it, honestly. Your, did you have a suggestion or just... My first thought was uh, Champions League spot, but right. it's not necessarily uh, a solution. No. No, it's not. So I, I changed my mind. Uh, I'd actually ban people from talking about tradition and things like that because <laughs> that's half the problem is that if you just take it on its merits as a cup competition where there's going to be some good games some bad games some memorable stuff some unmemorable stuff then fine but people kind of are desperately searching for this kind of nostalgia and tradition and I think they're kind of overthinking thank goodness that only happens in football and in no other areas of life have strange decisions (laughs) been taken based on nostalgia and some Proust-esque recherche of golden age don't know what you're talking about Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, good. Well, that's that's okay. that that's settled that the one. O- the, own, oh, the, own, the, nope. the biggest way the FA Cup can be helped if you're going to make a systematic change is to get rid of the League Cup, to make it mm. the only cup competition, yes. a la other countries. Um, uh, that seems an easier argument to make, I think, than to get because we yeah. we were having the discussion about team changes and selections and stuff in the League Cup long before we were in the FA Cup but then that ties back into if you did do that then the argument would be to use some of those League Cup slots which would mean FA Cup games in midweek which would then upset the traditionalists so you're in this kind of like vortex of heritage France as we've mentioned repeatedly are biting that bullet this Mm. midweek is the uh, last ever round of uh, League Cup semi-finals I say ever but there's you know every chance that you know a year or two's time some traditionalists there might go let's bring back the League Cup or not we shall see Anyway, it's FA Cup fourth round for us this weekend. Sunday night, we will be convening here. Daniel, you'll be with us. I will, yes. Hopefully, if what forget through, coming from Vicarage Road. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and that'll be ready for you on Monday morning, a new Totally Football show with all of the FA Cup uh, news and hot views. For now, many, many thanks for joining us, Natalie Jedra. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. See you on Sunday. Thank you. And good luck to you, Duncan Alexander. Thank you. Hope you have a great time until we see you again. Same goes for you, listener. Have a super weekend, and we'll see you bright and early Monday morning. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. 
Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we're the Series Linked Podcast. Subscribe to our channel for all of the biggest TV interviews. And to stay on top of all the latest telly. It said Gervais sometimes fluffs his lines. Like I'd have left them in. It's a stunning place to shoot. I like put something up on Instagram and there's somebody a post going, oh, you, look at you, lazy-eyed, you're ugly, aren't you? And on the way in upcoming episodes, we speak to Imelda Staunton, David Baddiel, Carl Pilkington and many more. Just search for Series Linked. That's Series Linked. Muddy News Media.